Okay, if you've got a Bible there, you want to turn to uh, Acts chapter 10 as we look at this together. And we're looking at it today under the title, A New Direction. And one of the things we see here is that a church that will be used by God to turn the world around upside down, it is a church which at times has to go in a new direction. Now, let me say it very carefully from the beginning. I'm not worked out what new direction we're going in. Uh, uh, that's not the point of this message. But the point is we need to be open always as a church when God wants to change where we're going and when God might be leading us in a different path. Amos 3 and verse 3 says, How can two walk together unless they are agreed? And we can only walk closely with the Lord as individuals and as a church if we will change direction when the Lord changes direction. We need at times maybe to change our step. We can go out of step. Uh, I have an uncle who taught me in the silver band, and I remember him telling the first time when he went out and prayed, uh, the band turned around a corner and he walked on straight and went down a different road from the rest of the band. And sometimes that can be us. God's going in a different direction, and we have gone astray. Today we're going to consider how Peter and the early church had to change direction because unknown to them, they were out of step with the Lord. First thing we see here is the unexpected conversation in verses 1 to 8. If you were to ask Peter and the other members of the early church at this time who they expected next to be saved, they would not have said a Gentile because no Gentiles were being saved. They would not have said particularly a Roman centurion, someone in the Roman army in this area. And yet God had Cornelius in his sights. And God was engaging with Cornelius through his angel. Cornelius was a, a God-fearer. He had come to know about the true God. He sought to worship and obey the true God. His knowledge was limited, but he was sincere, and he acted on the knowledge that he had about God. And in seeking the Lord, it's important for people, yes, to study God's Word, to study God's truth, but in seeking the Lord, it's also important to seek to do what is right. And this shows if we're really sincere in seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord means we seek to turn away from that which is evil, from that of which offends God, and seek to do that which is right by God. Now, that doesn't make us into Christians. But the Bible does teach this is part of seeking the Lord. It's not just about the mind, but it's seeking to do what is right in our lives. But one of the important lessons here is we never know all the people that God is speaking to. We shouldn't think that the only people in a huckle who are interested today about God and about seeking the Lord are those who go to church. God will be speaking to many people that we don't realize and many people that would surprise us. But if we are praying for people, if you're praying for people in your classroom, if you're praying for people in your workplace, if you're praying for people in your family, people who live around you, why would you be surprised then if they're thinking about God and God is engaging with them? So, 
we need to be ready for this. And some of the ways we can be aware that people are being spoken to by God is maybe to share a remark which is supportive of Christianity in the church. Maybe they ask a question about something. Maybe it's just a wee passing comment about something. Maybe it can be they're hostile because sometimes when God speaks to people, He raises their hackles. So we should be keeping an eye on the people begin to say things which make us think this. Pray for them and pray for them and pray that God will give the right opportunity to be a witness to them. Now, Cornelius is guided to send for Peter and for Peter to come and to teach him the truth that he needed to hear. And he acts straight away so this would happen. So we have the unexpected conversation. Secondly, we have the needed preparation in verses 9 to 23. Now, if you look at the end of chapter 9, Peter has been traveling around seeking to strengthen the believers who had been scattered. We see that in verse 32 of chapter 9. He came first to Lydda and then on to Joppa. And at these two places, through the healing of two people called Aeneas and Tabitha, many more people come to join the church. And so things were looking really good for the church. The church was growing. All was going well. It was, remember, a time of relative peace after Saul had been converted. And there was no reason to change things and, and move in a different direction because as far as it seemed, all was going well. The church was advancing. It was growing. It was maturing. But it was God's will for the church at this time to go in a different direction. And Peter was to have a key part to play in this. Now, it's interesting here. Peter learns about this new direction. It happened as Peter is praying. Now, undoubtedly, as he was praying, he was seeking God's will. He was seeking God's blessing upon his work and the work of the church. But as he was praying, he got an answer he certainly didn't expect. Now, think of this great sheet coming down from heaven. The food laws were something that were very important to Jews. And they were still very important to Jewish Christians at that time. Now, this vision of the sheet was both very clever, but it was also a very shocking way to get Peter to think about things differently. We can't imagine the shock which would come to Peter. I remember a number of years ago uh, meeting a, a Christian who, whose background was um, from a Muslim background in Bosnia. And when he became a Christian, what some American missionaries would do was to take the Christians to a restaurant and get them to eat pork. And he just says, he couldn't do it. He says, like, he says, for... For me, eating pork would be like you eating vermin. He says, like, it's just something I, I couldn't do. At one stage, he was in the army. He had to do it, and he had to hold his nose as he did it. Now, you've got to realize this was absolutely horrendous for Peter. But the key here is verse 15. Where the Lord says to him, what God has made clean, do not call common. Or some translations say, unclean. Common is the accurate translation. For the Jews, there were things that were for common everyday use in their lives. 
But then there are other things which were set apart for special use in the worship of God. And you read throughout the Old Testament about things being sanctified, being made holy, being set apart to be used at the tabernacle or the temple. And the message here is that the Gentiles are now being set apart for God and His worship. They were being made holy. They are being grafted into the family of God, into the people of God. God in election, God when He chooses those who are going to be saved, He does so entirely out of grace. He does so not because of any good in them or any good that they will do in the future. It's entirely a free choice out of grace, the Bible teaches us. Now, we don't know who God has chosen. And if we have prejudice about who we will share the gospel with, we could indeed be working not for, but against God's will. And Peter learns this lesson. Peter, left to himself, would have just have worked against God's will. But he learns the lesson that God has wider and bigger plans, and he's willing now to go to Cornelius. Here's a real challenge for us. Who are we ruling out witnessing to? Who is it someone that you will not talk to about Christ? Who are the people who you think that are beyond salvation. Pray about this. Think of the people who you've met over this past week. Think of the people you'll meet this week. Who do you rule out ever thinking you'll ever talk to them about Jesus? Can I really encourage you to start praying for these people? Put them on your prayer list. Praying for these people who you think you'd never talk to about Jesus. Because who knows who the Lord is going to save. We sometimes need to get this new direction. We need to be made ready to go in this new direction. And then thirdly, we come to faithful witnessing in verses 24 to 43. Peter highlights what a big thing this was for him as he says in verse 28 about how it is against the law, against the law of the Jews for him to come in to the house of a Gentile and to mix with them in this way. Peter was anything but comfortable in doing this. This was out of his comfort zone. This was new territory for him, and he was nervous about it, no doubt. And this is one of the things we need to be ready. When we engage in gospel work, we, we don't know where the Lord might lead us. I remember when I worked in a Christian bookshop in Uri, there was a, a fellow came into the bookshop, a fellow from a a Roman Catholic background, from a, quite a Republican background. He, he had went to Scotland. He came into contact with a Christian church and certainly was seeking the Lord. He lived in a, a village outside of Newry. It's not a village I would have ever frequented in. It was a very strongly Republican village. And I remember one Sunday afternoon going to see this fella. Uh, I was seeking to be an influence on him. And I was, went to see him. And in the, his house, his his father was there. Some other folk had come in, and it was. This was back the early nineties. The troubles were still on, and just so interesting hearing them talk just about being stopped at checkpoints and what they thought of the British Army and so forth. And me sitting there, the son of a soldier, in the middle of it, it was quite interesting. And I can tell you, I was out of my comfort zone. But 
sometimes when you follow where the Lord is leading, you end up in situations like that. I remember as an assistant minister, the first time I came to a house where there was a couple living together and I was outside of marriage. It's been 25 years ago. And again, out of my comfort zone. We need to realize, though, that gospel work will take us to people if we sincerely are seeking to be led by the Lord, can take us into places that will be beyond our comfort zone. Peter's actions here, we can see, are confirmed as Cornelius shares his vision to Peter about what, indeed, the angel had said to him. God is reassuring Peter that he's on the right track. He needs this encouragement because he's questioning probably, am I right in doing this? And the Lord is saying, yes, Peter, you are right. And Peter then shares the good news as he speaks of Jesus' ministry, death, resurrection, and the future judgment in verses 36 to 42. It was the same message, basically, that he shared at Pentecost. All people need the same message. It's the message of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he requires of us, what he calls us to do. And the message culminates with this great offer of forgiveness for those who will trust there in verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Forgiveness is having our sin, having our guilt removed from us, that God views us separated from our sin. And this forgiveness comes through faith in Jesus. Faith in who He is, faith in what He has done, faith in what He promises to us if we come. Have we that faith? Can I ask you today, are you forgiven your sin? That's the most important question of all. Is your sin still hanging over you? Is it still on your account? Or have you been forgiven? Have you come to trust in Jesus who lived and died, rose from the grave as the only way of salvation for sinners like you and me? So here we have this faithful witnessing. And then we have, fourthly, amazing conversions in verses 44 to 48. The passage teaches wonderfully how salvation happens. The Word is shared, and the Holy Spirit falls on people transforming them. There in verse 44. What a clear picture of how people are saved. The Bible speaks of people being born again by the Word of God in 1 Peter 1. It speaks of people being born again by the Spirit of God in John 3. It's the Word and the Spirit working together that brings people to salvation. Salvation is not so much something that you do, but rather it's something that happens to you through the Word and the Spirit entering your life. You need to be born again. You need to be converted as the Word and the Spirit comes to you. Notice in verse 45 and 46, we have this speaking in tongues that comes to these people. The speaking in tongues that accompanied their salvation was a gift which pointed to the gospel going to the nations beyond Israel. That's the point of it. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they spoke in different languages. It was a sign that Israel, who has rejected Christ, that now the gospel was going from them to the other nations. And that's why it was so appropriate here so appropriate when we have the first Gentile converts 
that the same sign accompanies it. A sign that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people, but it's a sign that it's going to the whole world. And that's so significant for you and me because we're Gentiles. This is a sign that Jesus has died not just for the people of Israel, but has died for all who will trust in him who will be brought into that family. An amazing conversion. And then finally, we have challenging criticism. We're into chapter 11 here and verses 1 to 18. And what we see here is that there are those who criticize what has happened here, criticize Peter for going into this house and sharing the gospel. And we see that going in a new direction normally brings about opposition within the church. And that's so true here. The circumcision group in verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. They're totally against what Peter was doing. We're talking about a new direction. We need to understand this, that nearly all change within a church prompts criticism from some. That's my experience. Every change that happens within a church, normally some people will criticize. I'm sure I'm not aware of most criticism, probably were, mind you, more than you might realize. Every time there's change, there will be criticism, as there is here. I remember hearing about a young minister who went to a church in the Balamina area about 70 years ago. He was a young minister, and he had this plan made up about what was going to happen in the church. And he had it written down on a big piece of paper, a, a plan for the where the church was going. And one of the elders at a session meeting went up, and he lifted the piece of paper and just ripped it in pieces. And the elder himself told me about this. Was he right? Was he wrong? I don't know. I don't know what was on the plan, so I cannot comment on whether who was right, who was wrong. But the point being made is that change always brings opposition. Change always brings criticisms. Some change is good. Some change is not good. How do we know when change is right? How do we know when change is wrong? What can we learn from here, this passage? Well, one answer, how we know whether change is good or bad, is how change relates to the gospel. The circumcision group, who are those who opposed Peter here, they were a stickler on the rules, but they were shallow in their understanding of the gospel and of grace. These were people who had come to profess Christ as Savior, but in many ways they were more Jewish than Christian. They were caught up more with the rules than caught up with Jesus. Change that is good is change that is good for the gospel witness of a church. And it will be accepted by those who have a big heart of love for God, the gospel, and for the lost. And the problem with these, these people, the circumcision group, their hearts weren't big enough. Or like Grinch, who stole Christmas, whose heart was two sizes too small, and then his heart was 
grew to be, grew by three sizes. These people needed their hearts to grow. Their heart for God, their heart for the gospel, the heart for the lost, it wasn't big enough. What caused the rest of the church to accept Peter's actions here was their understanding of the gospel of grace and how his actions fitted in with it. They were a gospel-centered church which impacted everything that they did. And they realized as they understood the nature of the gospel that the gospel is for the undeserving. The gospel is for sinners. And all Peter did at the end of the day was to go in the house of a sinner who God was speaking to and to give him the good news of Jesus and salvation. Change that was acceptable was change that fitted in with the nature of the gospel and change that helped the spread of the gospel. And that's the change we need to think about. We need to think about whether change, when it's spoken about in session meetings, often we talk about different things that could change. Whether we know change is good or not is whether it fits in with the nature of the gospel and will help the spread of the gospel. But I wonder, are you open to change? I ask myself that question. I ask the elders that question, the committee that question. I ask every believer that question. Now, I said at the beginning, and I don't know a new direction God is taking us in. But the question is, are we open to change? that is for the good of the gospel and for the glory of Jesus. One of the, the good things, I think one of the good things about what has happened in regards to COVID, where we've had to change so much in the last uh, couple of years. No one can say we never did it that, did it that way before <laughs> because we realize we've had to look at things and how they've done. We've had to do things differently. We couldn't do the things the way they've done before. Is the Lord maybe causing us in many churches at this time to ask, have we got it right every time before? Are there areas where we do continue to need to change for the glory of Christ and the sake of the gospel? That's something should be an important point of prayer for every believer who loves Christ and wants the gospel to spread. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that Peter had the courage to listen to your voice, to obey your voice, and to go out of his comfort zone, ensuring the gospel to those he would not have otherwise have mixed with. And Father, just help us to do likewise. Whether it be us as individuals, Father, in people that you want us to befriend, to talk to, for the sake of the gospel, or whether, Father, for us as a church, if there's new direction and change, we need to go in. Father, the lovely thing is when we ask for wisdom, you promise that you'll give us wisdom. And when Peter was praying to you, you came and you shared with him, Father, the direction that he needed to go in. Father, 
as we look to the future. Father, guide the Kirk session. Guide every member of this church in the path that we're going in. Never allow us to go down a path which is not according to your will, but never allow us, Father, to refuse to go down a path that is according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.